Security is a very serious topic. I would imagine most of you, if we were to ask the question, do you feel safe? And I would say most of us at most times would say, yes, we do. But we've become more and more concerned about our own security. We become concerned about it in our homes. And we're worried about our families. Many people have invested a lot of money in a security system and they pay a monthly fee to make sure that their homes are monitored so no one will do something to it or to steal from them or perhaps break in in the middle of the night. Many people have taken classes to be able to defend themselves, whether they're using some sort of hand-to-hand defense or maybe they've used something like mace or a taser and some even firearms to try to be able to protect themselves and their homes. But not just that, you have to think about the public, how much things have changed about concern for security. There was a time when you used to go to school and you could just walk in the front door. Now you have to go and you have to be buzzed in. And once you get in, uh, they want to know who you are, where you're going, and uh, make sure that everything is appropriate. Just a few weeks ago, the Sheriff's Department here in Menville uh, met with the elders and went over a number of things that churches could do in order to make the church more secure, to make sure that the churches are protected. If you go to a bank, many times there is an armed guard there. And now if you go to some large venue, you've got to go through a metal detector to make sure that you are keeping the people there secure and safe. Obviously, a lot of things changed after 9-11. When the Twin Towers in New York fell, our nation's psyche was really rattled and shaken, and people began to ask the question, am I secure? And right after that, on March the 1st, 2003, the Department of Homeland Security was created to try to make sure that our country is protected as well as it could be from all kinds of threats of things such as that. But you know, when you get through looking at those various levels of security, I have to step back and ask, are we concerned about our spiritual security? Can someone do something to you to cause you to lose your faith? That's an important question. And when you start thinking about the importance of spiritual security, we're talking about souls being at stake. What if someone persuades you to accept a teaching, a doctrine, which is not correct? What if someone allures you and tempts you into doing something which God would consider sin? Elders, preachers, and Christians... All have roles in providing security. You have to remember that when you go to the Bible, James chapter 5 verse 19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he converts or turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You're taking someone whose soul is being put at stake and you are saving a soul from death. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul would say, 
If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You see, it's an obligation that we each have that if we see our brother, we see our sister vulnerable, we try to do what we can. I've often thought of what Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel 34. And he looked at the condition of Israel and he saw the shepherds who were supposed to be shepherding the people and he says, they've not strengthened the weak, nor have you healed the sick, nor bound up what was broken, nor drawn, uh, brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, what God would do, he says, I'll seek what was lost and bring it back. The idea is, is that as we sing the song, Seeking the Lost, yes, kindly entreating, wanderers on the mountain astray. You and I have to realize when it comes to spiritual security, we all have a part in this. Which leads me to our discussion for tonight. We're going to look at two things, very simple, they're not going to be difficult. We're going to look at the letter that Jude wrote, and we're going to see it in its context. What was Jude trying to say? And then we're going to step back and we're going to look particularly at verse 3 and see this contending that he discusses here. This is a powerful letter. In fact, I have read the book of Jude numerous times over the last few months. I've listened to it as I've mowed grass. I've listened to it as I've driven to hospitals. It doesn't take just a few minutes to listen to it. And every time that you listen to this powerful letter, you say, you can't understand verse 3 unless you understand the urgency that you see in the words of Jude. Sometimes this book is called the Acts of the Apostates. That's a really a pretty good title because it reflects people who are trying, trying, they're making an effort to undermine you and undermine your faith. These are some serious predators threatening the church. And the problem is sometimes when we think about those who are threatening the church, we're thinking about people who might be demonic, and, but we're talking about humans. We're talking about people. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 23, right after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, when you get to verse 23, the Lord began to show the apostles that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer, he was going to be killed. And Peter's response was, not so, Lord. And it says, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter was undermining and tempting the Lord to do something which was not in harmony with God's will. Are there people who maybe are our friends who at times when we're at work or we're at home with our family who are tempting us and alluring us to accept things that are not correct. In 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul writes that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There are people who are taken captive by the devil. 
I see that all the time. Uh, Facebook is such a wonderful tool for good, and yet it is such a, a terrible tool of the devil at the same time. And that's the reason because, just like in this real world, there are people who seek to promote good, and there are people who are seeking to promote the devil's cause. In this book, in this context, this letter, if you will, Peter is concerned, or excuse me, Jude is concerned about people who are creeping in, and the American Standard says creeping in privately. The idea of they're sneaking in like a thief. In Galatians 2 and verse 4, he says, This occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth. Secretly brought in. They're, they're sneaking into the group. Matthew 7 and verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're wearing a mask. They're trying to get you to believe that they are representing God in His cause. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder... For even Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They want you to think, look at me, I'm serving God. When in reality they're serving the devil. They've been brought in or have crept in secretly. Now if you continue to look through this text... The American Standard says, These who were of old written beforehand unto this condemnation. The New King James says, Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Do you mean that there are people who God knew a long time ago were going to go astray and leave people? Absolutely. I think what he's referring to is verses 14 through 18. If you drop down and look in that, those verses, it says, Now Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them for all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which sinners, these ungodly sinners, have spoken against him. You mean Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, was... One who spoke about this? Yes. Of course, if you drop down to verses 17 and 18, he says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Oh, see, they warned as well. When Jude writes this letter, he wants them to realize God has already told you long ago that there would be men who would come like this. And one of those apostles, Peter, said in 2 Peter 1 and 2 and verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. We've got to recognize that Peter, or excuse me, I keep wanting to say Peter because I'm teaching Peter as well, but Jude is trying to emphasize and trying to make plain that there are people who are going to lead you astray. Another one of the apostles who wrote of this 
was John. In 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If it's Peter, and it's Paul, or it's Enoch, in this context, there are people who have been written of beforehand, and their condemnation is marked out. Well, how in the world would some of these people of old persuade someone to accept this? I go back to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a a good man with a good heart who loved his people. He wanted them to do what was good. He cried because God, he knew what God was going to do to them. And he looked at all the people who were alluring the people away and he speaks about them in chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. In other words, you can do whatever you want to. God is going to take care of you anyway. And we have a world today that believes that. There's a lot of congregations that are allowing preachers to stand in pulpits and say, it does not matter how many times you've been divorced and remarried, there are preachers who will stand in pulpits and will tell you, if you want a drink and you want a party, oh, that's all right. You see, people who will tell you what you want to hear. And thus, Jude goes ahead and says, they are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're taking God's goodness where he says, I will forgive your sins and your iniquities and I'll remember them no more. And he's now, they're now saying, well, God will let you do whatever you want to. But I listen and I see these people are appealing to people's fleshly desires, what people want to do. Remember Romans 6 verse 1? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not or God forbid Galatians 5.13, he said, Brethren, you've been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity to the flesh. Don't say that because God has made me free from my sins, hey, I'll just live it up. It's almost as if someone says, I know you have a lot of debts. I'm concerned about you. I want to pay your debts off. I want to be able to provide for you. Somebody says, woohoo. I'm going to go out now and spend all I can. 1 Peter 2, verse 16, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. And he goes on to say in 2 Peter 2, 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are bondservants of corruption. What happens is a person then gets caught in that sin, just like getting caught into a net. And people love those who tell them that they can do what they want to do. When Paul was writing the young preacher Timothy, and it is a temptation as a young preacher. You want to please people. You want people to like you. You want people to appreciate you. One of the the worst ways to get people to appreciate you is to tell them you've got to change your ways. 
And when Paul writes Timothy, he tells him in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Just like Micah 2, verse 11 said, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie and say, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be a prattler of this people. That's what you're looking for? Tell you it's all okay. What Jude does is to provide for us three examples of people who were led astray and what it did to them. The first one is the children of Israel in the wilderness. Verse 5 says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And you say, well, when did that happen? You remember Numbers 13? You remember the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? And you remember how they said, uh, the spies come back and said, we can't take the land? And the children of Israel said, well, let's go back to Egypt. What they were doing was appealing to the lust of the flesh of the children of Israel. The second example he gives is the angels in verse 6. Angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I don't know everything that occurred in the angelic realm. I do know that Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Jesus said that. I do know that the angels who sinned were cast down. Second Peter chapter four, uh, four verse six, or two verse four. I'm sorry. Second Peter two verse four. So what you have here is the angels. Somebody led them into a, a fall. The third example was Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse seven. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now the conclusion you have to draw is you have to be aware of these apostates because just like the children of Israel, just like the angels, and just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, someone persuades you to do something wrong, you're going to lose your soul. Now, moving on quickly, I'm going to speed up now for the rest of the context. Verses 8 through 16 is going to talk about the means and the methods of Satan's servants. How do they accomplish what they're doing? So let's read this real quickly here. Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel... And contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in, things they, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, run greedily after the heir of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, 
raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom the blackness, uh, reserve the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord will come with tens of thousands to execute judgment on those all and convict all who are the ungodly among them for all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which the ungodly have spoken against him, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great, swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. If you summarize these things, they disdain authority. They don't respect the authority of God. They don't respect the authority of man. They don't respect the authority of elders in the church. They think they're above that. They're genuinely ignorant, he says. They're walking in darknesses. John chapter 12 verse 35 says that he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. 1 John 2.11 says essentially the same thing. They are guided by a selfish ambition. They are proud like Cain. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Cain wanted God to accept him regardless of what he gave. They are wanting to profit like Balaam. you remember how that Balak hired him to curse the children of Israel? Whatever you pay me, that's what I'll do. Or the power grabbing of Korah, as they challenge Moses and Aaron for control of the children of Israel, they're also deceptive. And I think here Jude just must have waxed eloquent as the Holy Spirit guided him. He spoke of being spots in love feast or haters at love feast. You know, when you're having... A love feast, you're having something, everybody's supposed to be loving one another, but in reality, these people, they don't love you. Shepherds who care nothing for sheep. He describes them as clouds with no rain, late autumn trees with no fruit. You know, it's like Jesus going up to the fig tree. Well, where's the figs? They're not there. Curse the tree. These offer promise, but they're not delivering on it. And then he says they're complainers. You know what complainers do? They sow discord. And it eventually becomes contagious. You let one person start complaining, well, you know, I guess I feel that way too. And then two, then four, then eight, then 16, and you begin to see it multiply as people become contaminated with his complaints. They're seductive. They use flattery to gain advantage. When someone starts buttering you up, you better watch out because they're getting ready to drop you in the fryer. You see, these people are trying to use flattery. Proverbs 29 and verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. When you get to verse 19, he uses an interesting word, sensual. This is the same word translated natural in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He said, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And 
He can, uh, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The original words there is the word for soul. Well, the guy in Woods used to say, this is a soulish man. Talking about a man whose only interest is in the things of this world. That's why the word natural is used in 1 Corinthians. Just like brute beast. That's all they think about. Their actions are motivated to manipulate. These people are trying to manipulate us. When Paul wrote the Galatians, he put it like this in chapter 4, verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. They're trying to get you on their side to accomplish their will. The response to these is found in verses 17 through 23. But you, beloved, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he told you there would be mockers in the last time, walk according to their own ungodly lust. And then if you will notice verse 20 through 23, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He said, first of all, remember what the Lord told you through the apostles. If you'll remember that, that'll help you a whole lot. Number two, build yourself up on the most holy faith. How do you do that? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Put your mind, your heart into God's word. Pray, verse 20. Keep yourself in the love of God, verse 21. Look for his mercy. And then verses 22 and 23, help others escape. And what will be the result? You know, out of all of this, the focus has been on eternal security. Look what he says. Now, him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you flawless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. He's talking about a person surviving the onslaught of this world. You see the context in which Jude is writing this letter. Now let's go back and we're going to quickly focus on verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Give all diligence. The word diligence means eagerness, enthusiasm, or as Paul would say in Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. I was trying to write a letter, and I was giving it my all, but he says it was going to be about our common salvation. The fact that you and I share something together, it's just like Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 1 about those who have obtained a like precious faith. He says, but I was constrained to write. I found it necessary. This is a pressing matter. 
I would like for you to think tonight that we have one of our local law enforcement tells us that there's a man in a van and he's been going about in this area and he is a predator who is trying to allure children to get into his van. What do you think we would do tonight before everybody left? We'd get up and make an announcement. Parents, watch your children. This is something that's necessary. This is something serious. We've got to stop. Or what if some of you got an an announcement on your phone saying, and you would hear the siren from here, that there's a tornado coming right up Body Branch Road. Do you think it would be important enough to stop the lesson for just a little while to tell everyone to take cover? There's times when you want to talk about something that is valuable and good, but you've got to stop. And you've got to address a more pressing situation. The more pressing situation in this case is souls are being put at stake. Jude can't write the letter about the common salvation. He says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. That's an athletic metaphor. It talks about a person who goes and they're competing in some sort of a game. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, and everyone who competes for a prize is temperate. You go out and you give it everything that you've got. I want you to contend for the faith. We're not talking about your own personal belief and trust in God. We're talking about the faith, the gospel system. Philippians 1, verse 27. He says, the latter part of verse 27, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what you're committed to. The one faith that's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. But it's not just the faith. It's the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That means it's the final. It's the complete. There's nothing else going to come after it. You know, when the writer of the book of Hebrews talked about what Jesus did, he said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, he said, For the worshipers once for all purified would had no more consciousness of sin. Once it's taken care of. How many times did Jesus suffer on the cross? Once. Why just once? Because his blood was sufficient. It was complete. It was full. You listen to Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. In these, what days? Last days. There's not going to be another age. There's not going to be another generation where there will be another law. This was a once for all delivered to the saints. See, everybody wants to be safe. We want to be secure. And we want to be safe spiritually as well. 
And to do that, we've got to hold to God's unchanging hand. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, For I, the Lord, change not. He is our refuge. In Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength of very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 91 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. What is the message of Jude? You want to be safe and secure in your faith. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now what do you and I do with that faith? We obey it. We do what it says. The gospel plan of salvation involves he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. It involves repentance of one's sins. Acts 17, verse 30. The times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. It involves a confessing of Jesus with our mouth. Romans 10 and verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it involves being baptized, according to Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's the gospel message. That's what the Lord taught his apostles to carry out into all the world. And if you are a Christian struggling with sin in your life, and that's to whom Jude was writing this, make sure that you do not let someone steal your soul. And if someone has persuaded you, whether it's been a friend, family member, or someone else, to surrender your faith, you need to come back to the Lord and ask for God's forgiveness. And we'll help you with that tonight. If you need to respond, would you come while together we stand and sing?